morning, River City. I want to ask you if you're able to rise for the reading of the word. This morning, the scripture is from Matthew 13 through 20. The words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Well, we are all the way now. We're going to do this all the way through summer. We're in a series called Together in Matthew. Uh, we're not actually going through the book of Matthew chronologically. We are going through it based on the lectionary, um, which assigns uh, particular readings for each Sunday all the way through. Those are on our website now. So if you just go to the main page of the River City, go to the Sunday tab, you can see the readings all the way through. So we are at a stretch where there's three in a row. Um, started with the Beatitudes last week, which man, Benjamin did a great job with that, didn't he? And then continue on into the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and then there's another Sermon on the Mount passage next week. So where we're getting today, this is one of those, um, if you grew up in church, this is some really familiar imagery at the beginning of this, right? Now, if you didn't grow up in church, there, I'm sure there are just these like weird moments along the way where it can almost seem cultish, the kind of shared experiences that we all have growing up. But for those of us who grew up in church, we hear this and we can all sing a song together. It just like comes, like just one finger up, kind of starts the whole process so we can all just like instinctively go back to our childhood memories and be like this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine you can sing it with me if you want yeah. this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine let it shine let it shine let it shine now, this is, again, if you didn't grow up in church, it's probably weird, but this is just the joy. We are now inflicting on our children in Kid City right now. They will be able to have this moment someday, remembering, um, uh, uh, singing this together. I'm being kind of tongue-in-cheek about this. Um, there's actually a lot of beauty in that song. There's actually some imbalance in it. That's not today's sermon. We're not going to focus on that part of it. Um, uh, where I really want to go today, especially as we're kind of preparing to receive the Lord's Supper together on the first Sunday of the month here, is where Jesus takes it next, after talking about the salt and light, and we will come back to salt and light as kind of an application point going into the gift of communion, but it's interesting, it's even a little bit dense. When you heard the passage read, when you look at it right now, it's, 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 it's a little bit technical, it's a little bit dense, it's a little bit interesting, really. I mean, if, if we take a step back and say, here's Jesus's first big sermon, right, the longest compiled sermon that we have in any of the Gospels, 
if Jesus is going to come right out of the shoots with what's important to him, right, where he really wants his followers to know, right? You can kind of hear that first part and go, that makes sense. Your salt, your light, your city on a hill. You can kind of see how that makes sense as a way to start off the sermon. But isn't that interesting? The very next thing of importance to Jesus, and one that I think does have connections to the imagery of salt and light, the very next thing Jesus wants to get clear right off the bat in this sermon is, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. Clearly for Jesus, this is one of the most important things that needs to be clarified right up front in this sermon. And so I think it kind of should cause us to wonder, why is that so important, Jesus? Um, why should that be so important to us? Why is this like a front of the sermon kind of a thing? And actually, he's gonna, it's, it's, it's pretty clear this is what's coming back to at the end of it too, um, at the end of chapter seven, uh, three chapters later. Where is Jesus going? That This is what I want us to really focus on today. And we're gonna ask just two simple questions of it. Um, the more fun one is what does it mean for us now? Not fun, maybe it's the wrong word, but I think that's the one that kind of draws us out. But I do wanna take one pass. They're not different from each other, but it's, it's a unique exploration there is something very specific happening at this time that Matthew wants us to see in terms of, you know, this is Jesus' first recorded words after saying that he's come to pre preach the kingdom coming there. Matthew is inviting us to see something really significant happening in that time, all right? And then it also has huge implications for us. So that's the two questions I want to ask. Why was it so important to them at that time? And explore that a little bit. And then why is it so important for us, all right? Particularly that verse when Jesus says, Verse 17, I've not come to abolish the laws and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Why was that such a big deal for them then? Why is that a big deal for us now? You, you, you good to do that? Just, you have to think a little bit harder on this first one because it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it's very much reflective of what's happening in that time as Jesus is coming onto the scene. So part one, why is this so important for them? All right, if we enter into their world, why is this so important? All right, let's start with Matthew first. There's four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all talking about Jesus. Each of them, they'll highlight different things. And for Matthew of the four, one of the things that was most distinctly part of his call was to help his own Jewish people make sense of who Jesus was. All right, we've got to remember that. In fact, here's just an important thing to remember in Matthew. When Jesus is preaching this here, this is almost still exclusively a Jewish conversation that's happening. I actually think it changes the way we're reading all this if we remember that, like, it has not yet really expanded to Gentiles. That term Gentile just simply means everybody in the world who's not Jewish, right? So it's really a it's Jewish, kind of a small group in the large scheme of things, Gentile, everybody else. At this moment in time, this is a Jewish conversation. Um, Matthew is trying to help his Jew who have, you know, they've got thousands of years of history following Yahweh God who made a covenant with them. And they've got all these stories, Abraham and Noah and David and Esther and Ezra, all, the, all these stories, all the prophets. Matthew is trying to help them with absolute clarity make sense of who Jesus is within the Jewish story that has been unfolding all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. All right, so this is first and foremost who Jesus is speaking to in this moment. Um, as, so as Jesus comes on the scene, one of the things Matthew is showing us here in the early stages is that those who are the Jewish leaders, you'll hear these terms a lot, rabbis, teachers of the law, the rabbis and the teachers of the laws were the ones who were responsible for guiding the Jewish people in the ways of what we would call the Old Testament, what they call the Hebrew Scriptures. So when it talks about the law, they're talking about the Torah, the first five books of, 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 of the, of the uh, Old Testament and uh, filled with commands, uh, 613 commands to be specific, in case you want to show off that trivia. There's 613 commands given in the Torah in the Old Testament. 
10 of which are really famous, the first 10. You've got a good sense of what those are, right? But then there's another 603 beyond that. So what rabbis and teachers of the law did, they were literally seen as experts, scholars, of the ones who were tasked with making sure people lived according to the laws of God as expressed. I mean, this is centuries and centuries old, right? So rabbis and teachers of the law were esteemed because they were the ones who were making plain, making clear the laws that God had given through the Old Testament and then the prophets. This is a shorthand for the whole Old Testament. Laws get to the first five books. Prophets are all the ones God sent afterwards to say, you're not living according to the laws I gave you, right? I said, take care of the poor. You're not taking care of the poor. I said, take care of those who are strangers. You're not taking care of those who are strangers. I said, don't have idols. You're having a, this is what the, this is what the prophets would do. They would come and remind the people of the ways that they had deviated from the law, okay? When Jesus comes, he's recognized as a rabbi. Seven different times in the gospel accounts, he's, rec- he's referred to as a rabbi. So he is seen as an equivalent or even beyond to the other rabbi and teachers of the law in terms of helping the people understand what the Bible means as it points to God. So here's where all the rabbis and teachers of the laws, they're asking some big questions of Jesus at the point. They're saying, is he actually one of us? This is the big question that's happening. Is he one of us? Is he talking about the same Yahweh God that we're talking about? Does he actually care about these 613 commands as much as we care about these 613 commands? That's our whole livelihood is making sure people follow. It doesn't seem... Like Jesus cares about them as much as we do. He heals on the Sabbath. He hangs out with people that we consider unclean. He has female disciples. He does all these things that don't match how we do things. So this is the huge question from the scholars, from the teachers of the law and the rabbis, but then for the large Jewish community in general, is this guy on our team? Is he talking about the same Yahweh God who made a covenant with us? Is he pointing people to the same commands as us? And so Jesus is answering this question at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and the first part of the answer makes it really clear, and the second part of the answer is what just creates this enormous divide. Go back to verse 17, and if, if, you, don't, if you don't mind bringing that up again, um, the reading that we did today. In verse 17, Jesus is going to make this clear, uh, what his answer is to this. Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. All right? This is part one answer. Jesus is saying, am I on the same team as you? Yes. Am I talking about the same Yahweh God as you? Yes. Am I calling people to live in accordance with the commands of God? I mean, he goes out of his way. I mean, every jot and tittle is how King James says it, right? He's saying all of it matters, right? So Jesus is saying, I am not changing anything. I'm not saying anything has changed from the Hebrew scriptures up till now. Uh, I have not come in any way to abolish this, all right? So he's, he's making that part really clear. But now, he's, this is the first time in Matthew's account, this is really as clear as he says it anywhere, um, particularly the meaning for the Jews. He says something even more than that, though. He says, I haven't just come to not abolish that. He says, I have come to fulfill them. And I don't know if that word fulfill jumps out to you in the way that it's meant to, but if you could have... If you could have been in the audience when Jesus said this, I think you would have seen temperatures rise and mouths drop open. Um, Because here's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm not actually like another rabbi or another teacher of the law, just trying to help you understand that. I'm saying everything in this is fulfilled in this person you are looking at right now. I am God in the flesh. I am the promised Messiah. I am the one that every law finds its fulfillment in. I am the one that every command was pointing to. I'm the one that every sacrifice was being made in honor of. I am, I am God. Everything you have always come to understand and believe, you are seeing in me right now. 
That's why Matthew has this at the very beginning. That's why Jesus preaches this at the very beginning because everything Jesus is going to say after this hinges on this reality of Jesus saying, yes, I, I'm, I'm not trying to abolish anything you've learned up till now, but what I'm trying to say is it was all pointing to me. So everything I'm about to say from this point forward is built on the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures and is fulfilled in me and is now part of life in me. We're just about done with that part, but I guess I just wanted you to see the significance because after the Sermon on the Mount ends is when it kind of broadens out to where the whole watching world now starts to interact with who Jesus is, is the real God. But in this moment, Jesus is making clear for his Jewish people, and Matthew as a writer is making clear for his Jewish people, this is who Jesus says he is. Not only is he not diminishing in any way the Hebrew Scriptures, he's saying it all pointing to him. And this, I want to always be sensitive because this, 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 becomes, this creates very real divides, right? Like from this point forward, you get a whole bunch of Jews who say, we believe that this is totally what our Hebrew scriptures are pointing to, that he is a manifestation and they give their lives fully to him. And then there's a bunch who said, we do not believe that this is who the Hebrew scriptures are pointing to. We're, we see him as an enemy to the faith and uh, create, you know, it kind of creates this real division within the Jewish community that's going to become a part of the whole rest of the New Testament story. Honestly, I I was just talking to a Jewish friend this week and I was just clarifying. I was like, so tell me again, like, Within how you all think of Jesus, within within your temple, you know, and we had it really comes down to the same. This is the same claim of Jesus saying everything points to me, and so this was just immensely beautiful if that's how you heard it, or immensely tense if you didn't believe him. But you, you see, you I know I, I feel like it just adds some like color to this when you see like how serious the statement was as Jesus talking about salt, light, city in a hill. And then he talks about, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill it. Like this all is comes to fulfillment and continuity with me. All right, you see, you see, that's kind of the end of part one. What does it mean for them? Really important what Matthew's trying to see. This is an essential part of his gospel is to help them make sense of who Jesus is. And then from there, make sense for all of us. Okay, let us now ask the question in the more broad way, um, what does that verse mean for us? And in particular, I want to use that verse to hold that whole section together. When Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it, what does it mean for us? The fast one answer is the first one. I've not come to abolish the laws and the prophets. That's Jesus' way of saying the Bible's important, right? Uh, uh, in Luke 24, when Jesus is with the two men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says, everything in the Hebrew scriptures, the law, the prophets, everything was pointing to me, pointing to my death, my, my crucifixion, my resurrection, so Jesus is reminding us that Scripture is important. That's the first part. Here's the where I want to now draw the imagery. Let's spend the rest of our time going to getting ready for the, the gift of communion to think about this second part. What does it mean that Jesus says everything about God is fulfilled in me? Uh, this is where I think, especially the image of light, and I think it's pretty easy to apply to salt too, but Matthew, actually all the gospel writers do this, Matthew really builds on this imagery of light. And so I actually think the... Sermon on the Mount part on light doesn't make sense unless you go back a chapter, or doesn't make full sense unless you go back a chapter earlier. So do we have the scripture, Hannah, from Matthew chapter 4? All right, if you've got your Bibles, open this up to chapter 4. Uh, we did this two weeks ago, um, this passage, and we didn't focus on the light part in that because I wanted to wait until we got here for this. But so in Matthew chapter 4, um, this is when Jesus comes on the scene in a public way for the first time. So this is the introduction of Jesus and his public ministry. See, the very end of it is when he speaks his very first words, where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But uh, I want you to show you how for Matthew, this theme of light becomes part of the entrance of Jesus throughout the whole story. And, and it then takes on kind of new meaning in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. 
So Matthew's recording, he says, when Jesus heard that John put put in prison, we kind of did a week on this too, withdrew to Galilee, leave in Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake area of Zebul and Naphtali. And then this is, uh, Matthew, again, always wants to connect this to the Hebrew scriptures, to the story up till now. So Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was said through the prophet of Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles. I put this in italics. This is in italics in there, but just to draw this out. The people living in darkness have seen a great what? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And he says that again in a different way. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then that became the basis for Jesus sharing this message of the kingdom of God. So go ahead and just leave that up there for a moment, if you will. So when John, sorry, when Matthew gets ready for us to see Jesus in his words, he connects it to this idea of the light of God being made manifest. And so it's really a beautiful, timeless message that just even stands on its own. Matthew is reminding, this has even got even almost a devotional feel. Matthew is reminding us that part of life there will be seasons, sometimes it feels like these seasons never end. There will be seasons where you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. There will be seasons, again, often extended, prolonged seasons where it seems all around you is hardship, right? In the broader world, evil and injustice and oppression, up closer, fear, anxiety, suffering, death, pain. All the, there are these things that just threaten to kind of collapse in on you. Right, similar imagery in Psalm 23 when it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? This is always a biblical assumption that there will be these prolonged seasons where we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Sister Rebecca kind of reminded us today of how, how, how we respond in that. So devotionally, what's being reminded is that when it feels like the walls are caving in, what, what is it that we all need during that time? We need God, right? We need the light. We need the light that comes from God in those times. Now, that's just always true. That's, that's been made true all through the Hebrew Scriptures. What Matthew is now taking us towards, though, is that God and God's sovereignty and God's love has tried to make it real simple to find the light. That it's God has given us a shortcut to finding the light in an expedient manner to find the light. That the fastest way to grab onto the fullness of who God is is to look to Jesus. Right? That Jesus is the light of God. That Jesus in the flesh shows us what God is like, right? So you're already getting this kind of where Matthew's going, Matthew 4, that when you're in a season that feels like it's marked by haziness or grayness or unclarity, look for the light of God and specifically look for the light of God as shown in Jesus, right? When you're in seasons where you're feeling lost or alone or confused, right? Look for the light that's in God and to help you get there fast as possible, look to the person of Jesus, that Jesus, when, when the people saw the, the valley of the shadow of death, there was a light that showed up, and it was the person of Jesus which showed us what God is like, right? You can, we could just keep doing this over and over when you feel like you're in a season of grief or hardship, when you're in a season that feels like it's marked by anxiety, fear, depression. Look for the light of God that is found in Jesus. Now, here's where it really becomes interesting because it's like this. This, this, is, this is where I think Jesus is going in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. It becomes this like circular experience with light kind of as a metaphor. So the light of God is shown to us most clearly through the person of Jesus. That's kind of the fastest path to getting to the light of God. So if you ask it like this, if God is showing the world the light of God, what is the 
what is the primary way that God shows the light of God? It's through Jesus. But now you can keep going this. If Jesus is trying to show the world the light of who he is, how does Jesus do that? Through us. Through us, right? Like, come back if it's not a pain and go back to the opening reading that we did again. Let's, let's, look at, let's look at that opening imagery of the Sermon on the Mount through that kind of a lens. When Jesus says in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand, give light to everyone in the, in the, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So Matthew's building on this. God shows the world what the light, light of God looks like through the person of Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, when you come into the family of God, when you come into who you are in me, that light is inside of you too. And the light of God shines through me, which shines through you, which then shines to others. And that there actually is a way to access this in a manner where your light actually enhances the light of others or honestly, where you can live in such a way where it dampens the light of others. Just to kind of play with this, let, let me, I hope this is an overload of scripture, but let's do one more. Let's get a hand if you don't mind going to John 1. Um, this is the Apostle John talking about the, John the Baptist actually, but John plays with the same kind of imagery um, that I think Jesus is getting to here in the Sermon on the Mount. John, let me just read the whole of it so that we remember kind of how John, cases again, you'll see a lot of light, light, light language. In the beginning was the word, this is Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. Jesus was God in the beginning. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now here's the first time. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind, right? So in Jesus was the life of God, and when we come into God through Jesus, we experience that life, which sets us on fire, which, which brings our light to a, to a level of vitality. And then he, he uses John the Baptist as an example. Um, there was a man saved from God whose name was John. And I think this is interesting how, how, how this is described. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Last part. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Okay, we're at the end of this. Let's, let's, let's try to like, I, I want to like have the big picture of this, but also like really make it accessible. What is it that John is saying here to us? What is it Matthew saying? What is Jesus saying through the Sermon on the Mount? I really think it actually is captured in that verse 17 when Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, to fulfill the law and the prophets. I think what Jesus is first reminding the Jewish community, but then all of us, is that this is how God has made God's self most clearly known to the world. God shows the light of who God is through the person of Jesus. As John says, in Jesus was that light, was that life. Through Jesus, we are brought into the family of God and that light inside of us, I mean, I feel like there's like so much you could like go with on this, um, but that light that we're born with, that, that God has created us with, comes fully to light when we're in Jesus. And we need to access that light just for our own sake, right? We need that. But it's so interesting how he talks about John the Baptist, that John wasn't the light itself, right? So we're not the ultimate light ourselves. It's the light of God that's inside of us. And that's how, when Jesus talks about being salt and light, this is what I believe he's primarily saying, that this is a long way of getting back to that opening imagery. I think what Jesus is saying is, God has shown the light of who God is through me. I'm showing you the light of who God is 
by bringing you into the family of God. Now you need to become that light. You need to become that light. That's not through achieving. That's not through producing. That's not through merit. It's through accessing that which is already in you and that is brought to life through me. In that, in the same way it says John testified to the light and people saw Jesus through that, this is where I think Jesus is going the Sermon on the Mount, that when you come into a deeper knowledge of who I am as the light of God, when you come into a deeper knowledge of who that is, it makes the light inside of you shine brightly. And when the light inside of you shines brightly, man, everybody's walking through their own valley of the shadow of death. Everybody's walking through their own valley of the shadow of death. Everybody's trying to find the light. And it's just this beautiful circular thing where God shows God's light through Jesus. Jesus shows our light, his light through us. We show the light of God through our own lives. People respond to that. They see Jesus. They see God, right? It's got this beautiful circular relationship with each other with light kind of being the metaphor that holds it all together. That to come back to how it was said in chapter 4, that the people living in darkness have seen a great light, right? I feel like I said a lot, so let's just like summarize it with that. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. This is what Jesus is getting at here, that he is the great light that everybody has been looking for. And I suppose that can sound scary or confrontational if that's not what you want to hear. But man, for those who are trying to navigate suffering and hardship and lostness and aloneness and fear and anxiety, to know that a great light, not a little tiny light, a great light has emerged. Right, the, the, I think that's really important. It says he, they've seen a great light. A light has dawned. Matthew's showing us this has been the story all the way along that God is going to make a light dawn that is impossible to miss. A great light. And that is the person of Jesus. And now Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, that's who I am. I have come to fulfill those promises of the great light that has dawned. And now you go out bearing witness to that light, living in that light, and when the world sees it, they're going to want to know that God. They're going to want to know that God. So as we prepare for receiving the gift of communion together, we're going to come receive it here in just a moment. But I guess if I just was encouraging you, here's I think that we can prepare ourselves in all different kinds of ways for the Lord's Supper. Maybe just sit with that image of light today. Uh, maybe that's a way to think of the Lord's Supper today, that when we're invited to partake of these elements, to receive the cup, to receive the bread, it's a reminder of what God says is true of Jesus, that a great light has dawned. A great light has shown itself and that all who hunger for life and light just simply need to move towards it. Right? Maybe we can think we've got candles here representing that, right? Or it's virtually however you're doing this. But as we prepare, we are coming to what was always the promise of God's light being made manifest in a way that's just beautiful, undeniable, irresistible, if you're willing to see it as that. And we come and we receive of that. And then this is very much how communion is supposed to be designed, where you come and receive of the gift and you go out into the world bearing witness to it. Then we go out into the world as light. Um, not because we're, we're special than anybody else, but because we know who we are in God. And we access the light that's in us because we're created in the image of the one who is light. Let's go ahead and continue standing if you're able to. And we're going to read a confessional in just a moment, but I want to come back to one more phrase. This is the phrase that's really been sticking with me from that teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that when our light shines, and he's speaking to a community, so it's us individually, but also as a community. When our light shines, it gives light to everyone. I think that's just really powerful to think about, that 
how God gets light to everybody else is through us. Um, it, it, it honors the, the imago Dei, the, the, the power of who we are when we're living in God. And so there really is something to be said for the regular participation in this together where, you know, communion is kind of a cleansing, right? It's, it's, it, that's, why, that's why we do confession. We say, God, clear out all the things that block the light. Clear out all the things that get in the way of your spirit moving in me and through me. And then let the light of who you are just have complete access to me. And so one of the reasons we do these collective uh, confessions each time is to um, corporately ask God to cleanse and renew and forgive so that the light can flow through clearly. So we're going we're gonna to read this confession together um, as a way to corporately um, cleanse ourselves um, through the blood spilled for us. So let's read this together. God of love and mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess that we deny and suppress humanity's immeasurable value, both the value of ourselves and the value of others in your eyes. We confess that we suppress our own light and we diminish the brilliant light of our own neighbors. God, help us to see the new thing you are doing in our midst is the fulfillment of your promise. Instill in us the courage to illumine unto others the healing path that leads to new life in you. Amen. Can we say that together? Amen. Amen. And so that's the cleansing work, right? Jesus does the cleansing, but we come, you know, confess, the, the word just literally means to say the truth, right? So we're just saying we know that God wants us to be free of those things, to live in a way where our own light shines, where the light of others shines. And now when we receive these gifts, it's a way of saying we trust that God is the light that God says God is. We trust that Jesus is who Jesus is and that he did what he said he did so that we can have full access to this. So let me read from Matthew's account for the communion, for our communion, and we'll take each of these elements. It says, Jesus was with his disciples, and while they were eating, Jesus took the bread. So let us now take the bread. And he gave thanks. So Jesus, we give thanks for this, your body broken for you. Jesus broke it and gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Let us receive the gift of the bread. I want to pause too. Corey, this is, you brought this bread, right? Well, um, t can you shout from there? I know I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Tell us again where this bread is from. Mm, so, if you, so for those of you who are here, and virtually we're glad you're the flat bread representing the um, uh, the the North Middle East or near Middle East? Did you say Middle East and North African community? So, thank you, Corey. We're um, remembering the fact that God shows God's self to us in all these different ways and celebrate the different heritages. So, thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of this bread. Now Jesus said, he took a cup and he gave thanks. So Jesus, we give thanks for the blood shed for us. And Jesus said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is kind of where we started part one, the whole story of God's covenant. Um, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out many for the forgiveness of sins. So as we receive this, let's remember that as far as the east is from the west. So we are cleansed. We are forgiven. We invite the light to fully inhabit and illumine us and then we go out into the world inviting others into that light so let us now respond in worship as we reflect on that beautiful invitation you know,
communion Sundays, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And they should be memorable when we have communion Sundays together because we are collectively reminding ourselves of the good news that we are forgiven, that we are made clean, that we are made whole, that we are filled with light and sent out into the world. So trusting and hoping that this is really landing in a deep way. Let's stand together, if you will. As we close out with the benediction, reminder that if you're interested in participating with the arts, the scholars, be at the bridge program. Right, the story is always the same, it's said in different ways. Love God, love neighbor. But I send you off with today's metaphor that Jesus develops, that Matthew develops in Matthew 4 and 5, that Jesus develops in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's think of it through the lens of light, and I invite you to meditate on this. Remember, first, Jesus says, I am that light that was always promised. I am that great light, the light that is the dawn, the light that is your orientation when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. So let us remember that. And just the invitation to come into that light, to be, to have the things that need to be burned off, burned off, and to have the things that need to be illuminated, illuminated, that's Jesus' invitation to us, to come into that light, to be restored, renewed, refreshed. That's good news, right? That is good news. And then Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, then go out and be a light in the world in tangible, practical ways, in such a way that people say, who is this God that produces this kinds of things, this kinds of light in people? So may we be beneficiaries of the light. May we be witnesses to the light as we go into the world. And all God's people said, amen. Love y'all.